Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Uh, we walked in this morning and we had trouble getting my mic on. Uh, the, the online campus is having issues to try to go live with, and then our TV just went kaput on us in connection. And it's like, could there possibly be something that the Lord wants for us this morning that an enemy wants to absolutely distract and cause us to run from? And so I'm just, it's going to be a heavy morning this morning, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 16. This is the seven bowls of God's wrath. This is the fullness of the wrath of God. This is the end. This is the completion of what God is going to be doing. The seventh bowl, we'll talk about some other events that are going to be happening again uh, alongside the seven and 18, 17 and 18 chapters, talking about the fall of Babylon that will be happening within this. But uh, as John has been writing, he gives us a very uh, sequential kind of in ordering when we get to the different things that God's doing, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, and then he fills in other details, right? So Revelation chapter 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that is in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was? For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had the power, who had power over the, these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, there's that unholy trinity, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And here's a parenthetical verse. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen. Verse 16, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. 
and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Anybody want to stick around for that? You, you wouldn't be removed to think of the Exodus, and if you're hearing portions of that and it's making you think of that, you would be right on line where uh, God's, it wasn't, it wasn't Pharaoh and Moses that were battling it out. It was God and the evil world in which Satan is trying to operate. And so you see those plagues in Exodus, and, and if anything, they're a foreshadowing of this. Not that this is a replication of that. That this is the fullness of what God is going to be doing. This is the completion, if you remember, in chapter 15, the wrath of God is finished. And so uh, we have a couple slides. The first slide, these are the seven bowls of God's wrath. You know, and so you're, you're hearing the Exodus story in this. But this is the fullness of it. It's not a, a fourth like it was with the seals. It's not a third as it was with the trumpets, but the fullness of it. And when we think about what some of this could mean, I mean, even the idea of the sea, the sea and fresh water turned to blood, and it's like the blood of a corpse. Could you imagine the stench and the smell that would be going on? You, you couldn't walk out of your house without knowing and just smelling that something was horribly, <laughs> divinely wrong, plunged into darkness, and so there would just be darkness through the land. And it could be a symbolic for a political disaster, but then we see that the, the satanic trinity is doing signs and wonders, which we should always be a little bit guarded when we see signs and wonders, because it's the very thing that this unholy trinity will use to deceive all the nations at this time. And we know that in Ephesians 2, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And so the last bowl, which I think is the most significant and, and it's a level of intensity, is thrown into the air. It's almost like God said, I'm coming exactly for you. Not just all of evil, but the source of that. And so these are the seven bowls of God's wrath. And then we hear at the very, uh, what is it, verse 16, that nice famous word, uh, Armageddon. Uh, not the Bruce Willis Armageddon, right? Sorry, uh, not that Armageddon. But we have, and what's hard, we hear Armageddon. We've always been kind of taught or we've had the understanding, the battle of Armageddon. But nowhere in Scripture is it ever called a battle. They assemble for battle in Armageddon. But this is not a singular event. This is actually eight stages. It's a, you could call it a campaign. It's a whole chain of events. And, and I have it all listed here for you. And this is also in the life group guide, the paper ones that we print off that are right outside the doors. And so if you want to look up all of these verses and fact check me, go right ahead. And that's why it's there. But these are the eight stages. There's going to be an assembling of these forces of Antichrist. Then there's going to be a destruction of Babylon, which we'll read about in the next two weeks then the fall of Jerusalem, 
And if you remember the armies of Antichrist, they're going to go to Basra because who's there? The remnant of Israel flees to Basra. And so those armies are going to go after the Jews because they want to eradicate Israel from the face of the earth. Why? Well, we'll talk about that. There's going to be a national regeneration of Israel. Here's the hard part. Israel's going to cry out for its Messiah. Do you know who's the number one ally of Israel right now? America. And as long as America is a superpower, Israel will cry out to us. But when we see in Scripture that Israel cries out for its Messiah, no longer a political uh, thought, but now they've turned spiritual and looking for a Messiah, what does that say? America most likely will not be a superpower in these times. And every nation will be judged, and America is not immune from that. And so Israel will cry out for its Messiah because that will be their only hope. And then we have the second coming of the Messiah, which we know he goes to, and this is number seven, then he goes to Basra. He's going to have that uh, battle uh, march all the way to Jerusalem, to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, or the Kidron Valley. And that's where the blood will be bridal high for 1600 stadia. And then there's the victory ascent up the Mount of Olives. And the moment that he steps on the Mount of Olives, it'll split in two, and we will be with him at that moment. Those are the eight stages of the Battle of Armageddon. That's Revelation 16. But I still have 30 minutes. You're thinking, wow, that was quick. We get out. I get breakfast. I can make both games. Like, this is going to be great. I got some cleaning I got to do. What else could we talk about this morning that maybe we need to? Next slide. Israel. I'm getting a lot of questions asking, are we watching fulfilled prophecy being carried out? Let's, let's talk about it a little bit. And so uh, I think the next slide is, a, is a, a map. Okay, there we go. So this is Israel, pretty modern. And then I zoomed in on a couple things so we can talk through this. I'm gonna, it's going to be a history lesson. And so if you're a history buff, you're going to love it. If you hate history, uh, we'll wake you up in about five minutes. And so when we think about what's going on with Israel and his prophecy being fulfilled, that's not an easy question. We have to go clear back to the very beginning. Go back a, almost about four or 5,000 years ago to a guy named Abraham, called out of the Ur of Chaldees, and then he is, is promised a land, and he's in the land of the Canaanites, the land of Canaan. So there's a promise given to him, the land, the seed, and the blessing. We can read Genesis, and we will next year, with Genesis 12, 15, and 17, that this promise of this land is given to this chosen people that God's going to bring about a nation through Abraham. And that's going to be carried to his son Isaac, then to carried to his son Jacob, which is renamed Israel. And that's where we get the 12 tribes because of the 12 sons of Jacob of Israel. And so we have the initiating of this unconditional covenant that God makes with Abraham. It's not a conditional, it's unconditional given to Abraham. And now fast forward about a thousand years and Israel sets up its first monarchy with Saul. And Saul ruled for about 40 years, had some issues. David. David rules for 40 years, has some issues, 
and then his son Solomon. Solomon's the first one to build the temple. Remember, David wanted to, but the Lord told him, there's too much blood on your hands. And so he gets the plans, he gets all the resources together, and his son Solomon builds the temple. Solomon rules for about 40 years, has a whole lot of trouble. But when you have 700 concubines, 300 wives, you're probably going to have a little bit of trouble, right? (laughs) I have one wife. (laughs) Not going to comment after that. And I have some trouble. No. And then we, if you remember Israel history that we have in Scripture, uh, the nation splits into two. We have Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And and we have now a, a separated, a divided monarchy. We have Israel in the north with ten tribes that followed. We have Judah in the south that two tribes followed them. And through a series of 19 or 20 different kings, depending on where you went to Bible college, in the north, there was, uh, none of them were good. They were all evil. They were all horrible. In the south, in Judah, most of them were horrible. There was only about eight that were good. You can think of like uh, king, good king Josiah. He was a good king. And so there was a few good ones in the south. And because of that, God brings judgment upon his own chosen people. And so we have the Assyrians in 722 that come in and they take over Israel. And we know the Assyrians are the Ninevites. The capital of Assyria is Nineveh. So Jonah, you could read the book of Jonah and understand the Assyrians. And even Jonah was upset with God that he had mercy on the Ninevites. And the crazy part is, if God wouldn't have turned the hearts of the Assyrians, they would have came in sooner and conquered Israel. And so the change of heart to the Ninevites was actually a protection to Israel to give them about another hundred years to try to repent of their own deeds. And so Jonah, a prophet of God, was actually upset that God was giving Israel more time to repent. That's what he was upset about. And so you have the Assyrians in 722 that take over Israel, but they cannot take over Judah. Then the Babylonians come in about 586, and they take over Judah in the south now. And that's where you can understand Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then after the Babylonians, we have the Medo-Persians. And that's where you have Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel. And that's good king, or not good king, but he's a a good king enough to allow Nehemiah to come back and rebuild the walls, and they rebuild the temple, and they rebuild the hearts of the people of Israel. And that's where the Old Testament ends its chronological history. And so all the major, minor prophets, it's all filling in details from a, a, a united monarchy, a divided one. Then once Israel fell, it was just Judah until even Judah was taken away into captivity. Right? And so, and then after the Persians, you have the Greeks that come through, give us a good uh, standard of language and trade. Uh, that, uh, there's, a, there's a, we don't know if it's a fictional, so we call it an apocryphal story. It could be made up, it could be true, there's no way to verify it. Uh, but there's some good hintings to history that Alexander the Great came up against Israel, came up against Jerusalem, and he did not destroy it. And if you've studied Alexander the Great, like he took over like everything <laughs> and swiftly could just take over nations. But the story goes is that when he got to Jerusalem, one of the priests comes out and meets him outside of the city and shows him the scroll of Daniel and points to him in the scroll, in the prophecies given to Israel. And he was so impressed that their prophetic books mentioned him. And he's that leopard 
that he did not take over Jerusalem. So that is a historical fact. Alexander the Great did not destroy Jerusalem, but he took everything else around it. And you have to ask the question why. And we hear that, and it seems very fitting. But after the Greeks, then we have the Romans. The Romans come in and, and have this Roman Empire, and that's obviously where the, the, the culture and the setting for the Gospels and the early church takes place. It was actually the Romans for the first time because they would come in and they would want to try to separate a people from their culture and from their land. And it was the Romans that first named this area Palestine because they wanted to break the connection of Israel and the Jewish people from their land. And so he renames them. I mean, think even Babylon did that. We know their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that's not their Hebrew names because they're trying to break that kind of connection. And then we'll fast forward past the early, early church in about 700 AD. You have a large Arab conquest that's spreading Islam through all of this. And so we have to think of all these surrounding nations. You have Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Jordan and, and Lebanon, which uh, we'll get back to that. Don't go there yet. What are you doing? Are you flipping my slides, boy? No. <laughs> And so we have this large Arab conquest spreading Islam. And then fast forward to about the 1100s, the Seljuk Turks come in and they're persecuting Christians and, and Jews in Jerusalem. And we understand that a response to them is what we call the Crusades. That if it wasn't for the Crusades, most likely we would all be Islamic right now. And then fast forward a little bit more, and from the 1517 to 1917 is the Ottoman Empire, an Islamic superpower. And they were controlling the area at the time, and they officially labeled this area Palestine because it's no longer in Israel's control. And then there's, in the later parts of this Ottoman Empire, right before World War I, there's a large Jewish movement of Zionism, and it's to set up a Jewish national state in the Holy Land. They were not a nation, and so all these Jews started moving back to the Holy Land to set that up. And obviously, that's going to raise tensions with the Arabs that were living there at the time. And then after World War I, the area is in British and French rule, and the Jewish and Arab tensions are only mounting, and there's multiple battles that are going on during this time, like more than I can even really count or even that are named. And then World War II. Six million Jewish lives are lost in World War II to not get sidetracked but our culture and our world wants to try to eradicate that. And there's professors and universities that are trying to teach and let's call it what it is, brainwash students that the Holocaust did not happen. More on that another time. But after World War II, Jews fled Europe, understandingly, and they're coming back to the Holy Land, which again only brings increased tensions with the Arabs there. And the UN wants to set up two independent states in this area. They want to have a Jewish state and they want to have an Arab state. And they were going to give Jerusalem a special international status because it's the center of three major world religions. Father Abraham is the father for the Jews, for Islam, and for us in Christianity. And so they were going to give Jerusalem this special international status. And then after the war, once uh, the British pulled out of this area in 1948, Israel becomes 
a state. They become an official nation, and war follows with the surrounding Arab nations. They're given a peace treaty, and so the Gaza Strip, this little area, that, okay, we'll do the zoom in, this little area right here at the bottom left, saying God, that's the Gaza Strip, which we'll talk about. There's a lot of stuff going on there right now. And then there's the West Bank. And so with a peace treaty, they give the Gaza and the uh, West Bank's to the Arabs. So Gaza goes to Egypt and the West Banks goes to the Arabs in Jordan. And then in 1967, some of you were alive for that, not pointing fingers. It was the six-day war where Israel wins with those surrounding, again, those surrounding Arab nations because they're always trying to unite and these Arab nations within Israel as well. And so there's a six-day war, and Israel takes back Gaza and the West Banks, and they took out the Sinai Peninsula, which is down here, but later gives it back to Egypt in a peace treaty with them. And then in 1971, the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, is created. Gaza and the West Banks goes back to Arab control, which is what they're calling Palestine. And then there's multiple conflicts that follow. Uh, you might even hear them called in, in, uh, intifadas, intifadas. That's an Arabic word. And so there's multiple conflicts and battles that follow after that. And then in 2007, Hamas, the Hebrew word for violence, Hamas is this Sunni Islamic terrorist group. They split from the PLO. Their goal is to absolutely destroy Israel and eradicate the world of Jewish people. The leader of Hamas said this, I hope that all the Jews gather in Jerusalem so I don't have to hunt them down. And there's 30 student organizations tied to Harvard University right now that support Hamas. So send your kids to a top school. I promise that'll change them. Sorry. And then Hamas, funded by Iran, and we know that, at, at the tune of $100 million a year, Israel has put a blockade around this terrorist organization. 2018, the U.S. moved its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was seen as a support for Israel by Palestine, and it only increased more of these battles and skirmishes that are happening. And then... In October 7th of this month, Hamas attacks Israel. And even as I was writing this to today, even Hezbollah has started attacking from the north, which is, these are, um, Hezbollah is another terrorist organization supported by Iran, and they're fighting, they're Lebanese uh, Muslims fighting from the north against Israel. That is the history of Israel. Every Almost every generation, Israel is under attack. Every generation could say, are we seeing prophecy fulfilled because of what is going on in Israel? And we have to ask, now go to, go to that green slide. Why is this area of such conflict? Because all of these green countries are the Arab nations or Muslim-controlled area. Why is this small little gray plot up there it's even labeled Palestine. Why is Israel such the center? Why is that small little land, why is this one group of people under the most attack in all of the world? We'll go back to our history lesson. Where did we start? Abraham. God gave a promise to a man to make a nation, to give him a land, and also to give him a throne. This is not a political discussion. This is a theological discussion. 
that the enemy, and I think working, and we're not just talking ISIS or terrorist groups, but the enemy wants to destroy any plan or will of God because if he can, then God is not faithful to his promises. And so in, if, we, if you remember in Revelation 12, we were talking about how the dragon will turn and pursue, once he's thrown to the earth, he's going to pursue the woman, which is Israel, and her other offspring, talking about the other Gentile people or nations. And that's going to be in the tribulation, but we're already seeing hintings at this. And so why is Israel, why is Jerusalem, why is the Jewish people under such attack? Why are they at the center of even Abraham, or the end times prophecy? Again, the promises God has given to Abraham. And we are still waiting for some of these prophecies to be fulfilled. Even the, some of the prophecy given to Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus, we have not seen yet because he has not sat on the throne of David. And lineage matters, and there is only one Jew right now that can trace his lineage perfectly to David and Abraham that has a rightful place to that throne, and his name is Jesus. No other Jewish person can. And that's why the Gospels are so important because we have in Matthew and in Luke pointing us, showing that it's not just the legal, but also the birth order, the throne for Jesus to be able to rightfully sit there. And so is this fulfilled prophecy? I definitely think this is wars and rumors of wars that Jesus talks about. And if we sat and just watched through Israel's history, we would see this, wars and rumors of wars and the constant attack that they're under. And we see some of the, I think, some of the most vile evil, at least in my lifetime. We were in staff planning this week and they said, I saw the news and I said, they found 40 babies that were killed and stacked together and a lot of them were beheaded. And, it, and the grief turns our spirit and our heart to which a whole nother conversation is. But we kill far more in our own country. Jesus said that there's going to be many antichrists that will come. They're going to come in my name, and they're going to be, there's going to be many of them. And they're all foreshadowing, they're all pointing to the antichrist that will come. And so I think in the same way, there's going to be many attacks on Israel. There has been. And it will continue. And it's only a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of full prophecy of the attack upon Israel. But America will not step in. But it will be Jesus himself. It will be the Messiah that goes to Basra and defends alone. He says, I tread, trodden the winepress alone. That he will defend his people. And so we cannot let the newspapers dictate our exegesis of Scripture. It, even if you remember at the very beginning of Revelation, one of the things that I said is we all need to lay down our preconceived ideas and let the Word of God lead and guide us. It's, I, I don't have a pre-trib view and then I look at Scripture. I allow Scripture to guide my view of what is going down. And it seems subtle, but it's absolutely impactful that we let Scripture do that. And so we're going to see events like this. Jesus would tell us, don't be surprised by that. 
Don't be shocked by that. It's going to happen. And it's all pointing to the greatest event, the culmination of human history, not a political battle, but it's going to be a spiritual battle. God is telling us through the book of Revelation that it is going to be between me and the evil one and those that side with either party. Like we, we are going to write all of this. So don't be shocked by this. I think Luke, was it Luke 21 maybe, says when you see these things, Keep looking up because your redemption is near. And so we look at these things and we wonder, like, could this, could this be fulfilled prophecy? Possibly. I, I still think there's a couple more events that have to happen before the tribulation. You could read Psalm 83. There's a battle there where if a couple more names get thrown in the hat, I might be open to it. Or you read Ezekiel 37, 38, 39 right in there with Gog and Magog, and you understand some of those names, and is that a reference to, to Russia? And, and, and then we hear about how Russia is meeting with China, and, and Russia is meeting with North Korea, and how China is meeting with Palestine. Yeah, that's all happened in the last six months. And so if there's a few more names that get thrown in the hat of what this is, you, you, you could sway me that way. But we can't allow the news to sway us from the Word of God. And if watching news like that stirs our heart and, and our pain and our grief of what's going on in the world more than what we read in the Word of God, then we truly don't believe in the Word of God. That this is what stirs our heart. This is what brings about a conviction and a moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not what we see on the events. Those are merely a reporting of what's going on, but this is a telling of what God is doing in and through the world. And so the things that we have been studying are far worse than anything that we're going to find on the news. That's, so if anything, we see this and it's like, oh, it's going to be so much worse. And we have that mentality. Why? Let it drive us, knowing that our redemption is drawing near, but also if there was ever a time for the church to keep pressing in, because again, no amount of study of Revelation, no amount of news and things that are going on in Israel should ever dilute or take us away from the last few things that Jesus said. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them what I commanded, that they would walk in obedience. Be my witnesses. Let it be in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Be my witnesses. Understand the power that has come upon you in the presence and in the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't lose focus. Don't get distracted by that. Because that, could that not be a tool of the enemy to distract us thinking that, oh, it's all about to happen, so let's stop doing everything that we're commanded. No, when Jesus returns, let him find us doing the last thing that he commanded us to do. And so this week, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. About 1.30, 2 o'clock, kind of just knocks on my heart and says, we need to talk. <laughs> I need to sleep. And so I got up and we talked. Do you see who won that battle? And we talked for a couple hours. And I'll tell you, I probably did a lot of the listening in that conversation right there. And then just the laying in bed in the stillness I can understand that's why he needs to wake me up. Because if he tries to get a hold of me at 2 p.m., yeah, I'm so distracted by the things of this world. Sometimes I miss 
hearing the voice of God. And so 2 a.m., and there's two things that he hit me with. First, and I want to say thank you to our worship team because I uh, pivoted everything that they had planned. I said, hey, that's cute. We're going somewhere else. And I said, can we sing a couple of these songs? And the first line that the Lord hit me with is, how can we call out to the God of Jacob without having a heart for Jacob himself? So we sang the song. And it, and it builds in us, us a faithfulness, understanding God's faithfulness to Israel. But we have to hold that God is still faithful to Israel. Because if he's faithful to Israel, he's faithful to us. And if he's faithful to us, he will be faithful to Israel. And so we, we are merely grafted into those same promises that if God is not faithful to Israel, we should be very concerned. <laughs> but he is. And we call upon the God of Jacob. Even, even the events that we are studying, we should have a heart for Israel because if you read Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And there's no other day in all of human history that's going to be like these days. And so as, because we call on the same God that Israel does, we should have a heart for Israel. And then bringing back my old Sunday school from Troy Baptist Church. If you've ever been to Troy, Kansas, small little Southern Baptist church that I grew up in. Went to Sunday school. And at the time, we're probably thinking, ah, they're just trying to keep the kids preoccupied so they don't tear everything up. And then you see some of that theology that comes back, the, the foundation that they laid. So I'm laying there in the middle of the night. And all I could sing, and it sounded horrible, let me tell you right now. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. <laughs> the problem is that Abraham's sons are at war. And we'll talk about it more when we get to Genesis, but one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture is Genesis 22. And it's where Abraham takes his son God says, take your one and only son, which is kind of a baffling thought, Isaac, to Mount Moriah, to the mountain I will show you. Put the wood on his back and take him to a place that I'll show you and sacrifice him. And at the very moment that it was gonna happen, an angel steps in and says, nope, don't do it. I know that you wouldn't withhold your son from me. And he provides a substitutionary sacrifice, a ram. Israel and the Arab nations, you know, the Koran says that the son that Abraham took is actually Ishmael. See, the battle that is happening, the, the tensions that we have, it's, it's a family dispute of who does the blessing go through? Is it really through Isaac or is it through Ishmael? And Muhammad through the Koran would say, no, it was Ishmael and the blessing comes through us. And there ain't nothing like two brothers always fighting. Anybody got a couple of boys? always fighting. And instead of trying to settle it and say, no, my holy book says this and your holy book says that, of is it Isaac, is it Ishmael? I'd want to fast forward 2,000 years, take him to the same mountain to another son that carried the wood on his back, but now in the shape of a cross to a place of sacrifice. 
And he is that substitutionary atonement. And we see God the Father not withhold his son for us. So let it be, Ishmael, let it be Isaac. Look at the greater sacrifice in Jesus Christ and understand that our unity should be and it could be found there. Galatians says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's, n- there's neither Jew nor Hamas. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And he's talking to the church, and so we have to be specific there. And if you are Christ's, if you are his, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so instead of fighting, is it Ishmael or Isaac to be that son of Abraham? When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we become this new thing called the church. And this is the body of Christ, that we are heirs according to the promise of God. And that's where some people kind of get tripped up because if, if we uh, are grafted in, he's talking about the church, but once the church is raptured out, God still has a plan for Israel. And that is the story. That is the events of Revelation. And so if you would go to one more place in Scripture with me, Psalm 122. Psalm 122. We'll just read the whole darn thing because we got a little time. I was glad when they said to me, this is a song of ascent. This is what they would sing as they're walking to Jerusalem because wherever you went from the surrounding areas, if you were walking to Jerusalem, you were always walking up. It's an elevation thing. So as you were pilgrimaging to Jerusalem for one of the feasts or the festivals, you would be singing these songs. And as you got more and more people that you would meet on the road, the song would just get louder and louder. Can you imagine that? Like a bunch of Christians just singing Amazing Grace as we're walking to church. And the closer we got to the church, we got more and more people. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, of Yahweh. As was decreed for Israel, give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Our word of God calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And may they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And so for us as the church, we are called to pray for the peace of Israel and to seek the face of God. Is this fulfilled prophecy? Every day is. When Jesus said, hey, I am coming soon, we started. 
And we are in the end times right now because the next event that we are waiting for is for God to start those events. There's no other events that we're waiting. We're in the end times right now. Now, is this lived out tribulation? No. And how do I know that? Because we are still here. And the tribulation is the wrath of God being poured out and the promise of God. And his word says that the church is not destined for his wrath. And so if we're still here, then what are we destined for? To share the good news of Jesus. And so I encourage you, seek the face of God. Pray for the peace of Israel. But if we're going to pray for Israel, do you know who else we need to pray for? What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Pray for them. For Israel to have peace, we need to be praying for Hamas, Hezbollah. We need to be praying for that other brother, the descendants of Ishmael. That they would, they would see not for the fighting of who walked up with Abraham, but who walked up that mount and was crucified for their sin. That they would seek Jesus and understand who he is and what he's done for them. That's what we need to be praying for.